Welcome to the Park City Podcast, a podcast created by Park City Church to discuss who God is and how he is at work in our lives. I'm your host, David Morelli. Welcome back to the Park City Podcast. Again, my name is David Morelli, and as always, I'm joined by my friend, Phil Schomber. Phil, we're back after taking last week off. How was your Easter weekend? Uh, it was nice. I got a chance to spend uh, time with uh, both sides of the family. We we got together in the morning with um, my parents and then Jenny's parents in the afternoon. So it was a really nice weekend. Good. Yeah, likewise, we had a, a nice weekend as well. My mom and aunt were in town, so it was nice to have some quality time with them and for them to see church and obviously a fun weekend for them to be visiting with the new building uh, and for services there. Um, but, you know, busy weekend with all of those things. Of course, we were getting the building ready right up until Good Friday and then, uh, you know, of course, working out all the kinks of what does it look like to have service here and, and all of that. So uh, it's been nice. It was nice to have last week off and then uh, just have a little bit of free time and for things to, you know, kind of come back to normal and slow down a little bit. So that's felt nice. Well, we can uh, get into today's discussion. And just a quick note before we start, we're going to be doing things just slightly different. Um, normally, through our sermon discussions, we kind of take that uh, the last week's message and ask some application questions and bounce ideas and, and thoughts off of one another. Uh, we're going to be doing some of that, but it's going to be kind of based on a theme that we see running through the book of Esther. And so this past week, we started the new sermon series on that book, and Corey preached uh, the first chapter of Esther. And one of the themes that he mentioned that we see again and again throughout the book of Esther is God's providence. Now, this theme is also present throughout the entire Old Testament. And so what we wanted to do is showcase that, showcase God's providence throughout this nine-week series. So week by week, we're going to walk through the Old Testament and some of the major stories and storylines and showcase his providence at work from creation to the coming of Christ. And so we're focusing on that aspect of who the Lord is, of course, to learn more about him and to grow deeper, grow a deeper, excuse me, understanding of how the entirety of scripture is unified in pointing to Christ. And of course, we hope that this works to strengthen and deepen our faith in God. So to begin our discussion, I think it's helpful to talk about a definition of what God's providence is. So Phil, in your own words, how would you define God's providence? Well, sure. Yeah. Put me on the spot, having to come up with a definition um, of something like that in my own words. <laughs> um, Thought you might like that. Yeah. I guess I would define uh, providence as, as God working in all things to bring about his perfect plan. I like that. I think the the working in all things for me is what I think through that again his his providence is is purposeful. Um and I get to be, you know, a little cute because I get to ask the question first so you have to respond first and then I can uh not steal but you know get to quote uh John Piper. Uh there's a a book that he released last year called Providence and as you might guess it's about God's providence. Um and a very great book, would highly recommend it uh, if you have some extra time in your hands for 700 plus pages of reading. Um, but again, what, what Piper does such a great job of is just walking you through scripture and basically just taking a highlighter and just, 
you know, showing you here's God's providence, here's the goal, here's what it is, here's, you know, where it's playing out. Um, and the way that Piper actually defines providence in the book is God's purposeful sovereignty. Um, and so again, as you're saying, working all things to bring about his perfect plan that, again, God's providence isn't just simply provision that is kind of flippant or without a, a greater goal or plan in mind, but it's, it's extremely purposeful. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that we, when we talk about God is we talk about how he's sovereign, that he's in control, that nothing happens outside of his authority. But again, God's sovereignty isn't purposeless, right? It has a very specific purpose, and that's to accomplish his will. And so that's why I think this definition is really helpful, that God's provision for us, his providence, isn't without purpose, but rather is extremely purposeful. Yeah, and, and it, that's important especially as we're going to be walking through the Old Testament to keep in mind, um, we'll see events playing out. And it's easy to, to think of those events as, as happening. And then, and then God is sort of uh, stepping in and responding to, uh, you know, things as they, as they happen, but, um, you know, w- without knowing, you know, ahead of time what was going to happen. And, you know, we'll have a chance to, as we walk through that, to see that that's not the case, that God is working in advance and bringing events together to um, accomplish his goals. Um, and there's there's nothing really that falls out, outside of that and nothing um, happens without him knowing ahead of time that it's going to happen. Um, you know, he's not uh, just responding responding to events he's he's guiding and controlling events yeah exactly sometimes the analogy in football that they'll you know you talk about how a quarterback right prepares ahead of time they study defenses so that before the ball is snapped they have an idea based on you know where a safety's lined up or where linebackers are you know hey this is what you know the the, the defense is it's the, the the play that they're set in um and so okay i'm gonna make you know I'm going to pass to, you know, wide receiver A versus wide receiver B because of based on what the defense is showing me. And that's a little bit of, you know, again, it's a, it's a, the analogy falls short, of course, because God knows perfectly Uh, as a Packer fan, Aaron Rodgers doesn't know perfectly exactly what uh, defense, except for maybe the Chicago Bears defense, it seems. (laughs) Sorry to uh, the Bears fans listening, but right. Like you're saying, God isn't just reacting uh, to a set of events. And that's difficult for us to understand, of course, because all we do is react to events. We don't have foreknowledge to uh, perfectly know exactly what's going to happen, you know, in the next minute or the next hour or the next day. Um, and so that can be difficult, of course, for us to understand exactly how that happens, but understanding, uh, again, that that's a very a very real part about who God is. And so that's important. Now, you touched on a little bit of how in his purpose, right, God's providence is accomplishing a goal. So what would you say is the goal of God's providence? What is he hoping to achieve? Well, we've touched on this in in other ways uh, in the podcast, but, you know, the overarching goal, you know, is that uh, God is is bringing glory to himself. And and he does that in in multiple ways, but um, a centerpiece and and something that the whole scope of the Bible brings out is God's plan uh, to redeem his people. Uh, And he's glorified in that 
by uh, the demonstration of his wisdom and being able to bring about events that um, achieve that goal. Um, and we see that, you know, obviously most clearly when we get to the New Testament and, and uh, you know, see his love uh, perfectly, you know, displayed um, on, the, on the cross. Yeah, in um, the book Providence that I had mentioned just a second ago, Piper talks about how Ephesians 1.6 kind of points us to the answer of that question. It's exactly what you touched on, that God's goal is his, the, you know, his glory being praised by his people. Ephesians 1.6 says uh, that you know, Paul's giving us, kind of peeling back the curtain almost into eternity past of what was going on behind the scenes and he's saying that all this is happening, quote, to the praise of his glorious grace. And, you know, we talked about how God desires to display his glory and how he does that through displays of his grace. But it doesn't just stop there, that the ultimate display or the ultimate glory brought to God is through the praise of his people, right? And we talked about that when we talked about our aim being to be fully satisfied in him, that our joy is made complete through the act of actually praising him. And so that's, again, the aim and really the goal of providence. So we've defined it. We've kind of named the goal. And so let's get into kind of the content for today. The first kind of section of the Old Testament that we're going to look at is creation and the fall. So kind of very beginning uh, of the story where do we see God's providence at work in creation? Well, I think it starts, you know, in the very decision to create. Um, God didn't have to create the universe, uh, so the fact that he did is evidence that he, uh, you know, made a conscious decision to do so. You know, he created the universe with a specific purpose in mind, and, you know, and that's why kind of going back to the book of Ephesians, that's why Paul's able to refer to God as making specific decisions before the foundation of the world. So we see it even in, in just the act of creation itself. Hmm. I hadn't really thought about that before, how that would ultimately demonstrate his providence of the fact that we do exist and there is created there are created things around us. I hadn't considered that before. Yeah, you know, it's it, it just it's it's embedded in the fact that creation wasn't an accident. God didn't just sort of, power didn't just fall out <laughs> from him and, oh, now there's a universe. And right. so it you you raise the question, why did he make that decision? And I think, you know, the, uh, you know, the Bible, you know, works that out. And, um, and again, that, that's why, you know, Paul's able to uh, speak of um, God choosing us before the foundation of the world. That, you know, that means that God even even then was uh, making conscious decisions about what he was going to do. Yeah, and I think you see that too through his provision of the Garden of Eden, right? Of Obviously, Adam and Eve have everything they need for life. They have food, water, uh, you know, they have uh, nature to, to look at and enjoy. Obviously, they have a perfect relationship with the Father. They walked with him uh, in the garden. Um and that uh, that in itself is a part of that purpose, right? We see God's providence working to, you know, it, it's from that account that we learn God desires to have a relationship with us, right? That's 
that's how things are meant to be as they are created and they are quote very good as he says um, and of course we see that picture then painted when we look to revelation and the events to come uh, the new earth and the new heaven you know we see some of those same pictures of that restoration uh, and redemption of that all right so that's a little bit of how we see the lord's providence in creation but what about his providence in the fall phil what are your thoughts on that yeah so when we talk about god's plan being worked out in all things that does necessarily include the fall you know it would be easy to think uh, that adam and eve's sin you know fell outside of that plan but actually god knew it would happen and allowed it to happen because he had already decided that he would redeem his people through Jesus' death and resurrection. Yeah, exactly. Again, we see the the purpose behind his providence there, right? And God already knowing uh, that it would happen. I think one of the things that's interesting about the uh, the account of the fall is the Lord's response. Uh, afterwards, and he gives you know kind of three responses: one to the serpent, one to Eve, and one to Adam. And in the response to the serpent, we see an interesting aspect of the Lord's provision. In Genesis three fifteen, God says to the serpent, "I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." And now many theologians understand this to be the first promise of a Messiah, that uh, the her offspring is referring to Christ, and that you know that he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel, refers to the death of Christ and his ultimate victory over sin and death through his resurrection. So the, you know, you, the, the devil, shall bruise his heel is a reference to the death of Christ. Of, again, we think sin and death have won, but then the ultimate crushing of the head is Christ ultimately defeating those things again as we just celebrated a little over a week ago and so there again we see the Lord's providence at work and as you said that was already decided right it wasn't a, a, a response of God to say oh Adam and Eve messed up I didn't see that coming let me quick try to fix things yeah and <clears throat> that becomes clear when we pull you know some different threads together and again we'll get a chance to do that some as we walk through the old testament but again if we you know pop back into ephesians and and reflect on the idea of god choosing us before before the foundation of the world you know what is in what sense is he choosing us and in context you know paul is talking about um, his choosing to save us which implies again that all of this was part of God's plan from the beginning. And it's when you when you look at scripture with that in mind, you, you start to see that plan at work, which is again, why many theologians look at that statement, that cursing of the serpent and seeing it, um, that plan already being uh, foretold. Uh, you know, if you, if you think about it, obviously something is going on more than just a serpent and which is you know why many theologians understand uh they see satan standing behind the serpent and then if that's the case in what sense is his head going to be crushed and again knowing what we know from the old testament it's it's natural to uh see in that 
um, you know, Christ's, Christ's work on the cross. Not, not every theologian um, sees that in, in that particular um, verse, um, but even, even if it's not there, again, as we'll walk through the covenant that God makes with Abraham, uh, the Davidic covenant, and that we see God working his plan to redeem his people um, throughout Scripture. Um, and again, demonstrating that th- this wasn't an afterthought, that he knew what he was doing from the beginning. Exactly, and that's going to be something that, you know, I hope we see through the book of Esther as well, is that that story is very much included. And despite God not being actually mentioned in the account, as you know, Corey talked about on Sunday, that doesn't mean he's not involved right and and so the same message would hold true god is uh at work in the same way working redemptively preserving his people and ultimately his providence is at play providing for them as you know we'll see uh through a character like esther and through mordecai and some of the main you know actors in this account and so again as you kind of then take a bird's eye view of the Old Testament. As you say, you start to see how all those things are connected, where those themes repeat themselves. And, and again, it doesn't become a collection of a bunch of different writings written over a couple thousand years and so many different authors, but really one story that continuously builds and ultimately culminates in the coming of Christ. Yeah, and I, I think that's what's so exciting about the doctrine of providence, but also, um, you know, the doctrine of scripture. Again, we see these pieces come together and recognize that, again, it's not just this haphazard collection um, of just really old writings. Um, it's it's the story of God's plan to save his people. And, you know, again, that, that, that to me anyway, that, that's an exciting um, thing to be tracing through scripture. Exactly. Well, one of the aspects of God's uh, providence that we've talked about is that it's not reactionary, that it, it, we're not catching God off guard. And so one of the aspects that I want us to discuss now is how, in what ways do we see God's providence actually existing before creation? Yeah, we've, we've hinted at this, um, and this is what makes Ephesians such an important book on this topic is because, you know, Paul kind of walks, you know, through that, um, kind of what, what was going on to a a certain extent in God's mind, you know, before creation. And, you know, and and it begins with him choosing us as, as I've said a couple times here before the foundation of the world. So again, it demonstrates that God is, uh, making a plan, even before he created, and that that plan uh, has something to do with us. Yeah, let me, uh, just because we've referenced it a couple of times, and I think, again, there's a couple key verses in Ephesians 1 that that help us to understand God's providence. Again, as you said, I think Paul does a great job of, of kind of peeling back the curtain. Um, so let me just read this passage for us, and then and we'll continue discussing. Um, This is Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14. It reads, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, 
that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That sounds like one massive uh, run-on sentence with some of the uh, punctuation there as the Apostle Paul is making that a little difficult to read. I don't know if you heard me kind of <laughs> gasping for air there. Um, but uh, you you touched on this verse, and verse 4 chose us in him before the foundation of the world, right? Paul's revealing the origins of God's providence, as we've touched on. It isn't in response to creation or the fall, the events that we were just describing. It's not just that he starts providing for his people once there are a people to provide for. Instead, his providence is actually before those things. It exists uh, for all time in eternity past. Yeah, and I think what's important about those that passage is that God isn't just determining the idea of redemption generally, and I'm, I'm going to save some people. Um, it, it comes down to our own decision uh, to, to come to faith, to believe in Christ, and the, our personal sealing of the Holy Spirit. I, so, I mean, I think when you trace it through, it, it's, it demonstrates that God's uh, providence is is very personal. It's not just you know making this general plan. It it traces it out in the details that lead to us coming to salvation, not just us generally, but me in particular. And I and I think there's great comfort in that, and uh, w- which is what makes Ephesians an important book, but the the doctrine of providence um, important to our faith. Yeah, exactly. And you kind of hinted at this, which. You know, if you have some some theological background, maybe you picked up on it as you're listening. But when we hear words like chose us or predestined is mentioned multiple times in the passage, I think sometimes a flag goes up of that feels kind of scary. And for the sake of time, we won't get into, you know, predestination, free will discussion uh, right now, though I think that that, uh, you know, is an interesting conversation. Really, the word predestined in this passage is more referring to previously ordained or appointed. Um, and so again, that's the meaning behind when it says that, of, of that it's getting that these events weren't just reactionary. They didn't just occur because God looked at what humans had done and then said, okay, now what's my next step? But rather before the world was created, before the foundation of the world, again, as it says in 
verse 4, these things were ordained, that the Trinity was together working to this end. And so this matters because, as you mentioned, it ought to provide us great comfort that God's providence isn't reactionary and that it's purposeful, right? He created the garden for a purpose. He created the woman's offspring for a purpose. And that ought to ultimately comfort us because he and, and, and nothing outside of him can stop him from perfectly accomplishing his will. Yeah, exactly. Corey touched on this in the sermon on Esther. You know, we live in a chaotic world. And um, in a sense, that's, that's scary. If, in fact, everything is just random and we're left on our own in the midst of powerful forces swirling around us with sort of no uh, apparent purpose, or if there's a purpose, not necessarily our benefit, you know, that, that's a scary thought. But again, um, Paul and Ephesians and really the whole story of the Bible is saying that that's not the case. God is in absolute control because he planned all of this and he's not absent from it. He's actively involved ensuring that everything happens according to his plan. And that involves, again, uh, down to the details of our daily lives. And, and, you know, I think it's in that context that, you know, providence becomes such an important theme for the believer because, again, as, as you were saying, nothing outside of um, God um, is is running the show. Right. And I hope as you're listening to this, you know, as we kind of introduce this topic this week that we're kind of hopefully connecting some dots for you. And then, you know, week by week as we move throughout the Old Testament, I hope that kind of more of those dots continually get connected. And again, you're, you're, you're seeing this picture of how God's providence is has been at work, and then, you know, that also helps us to understand present day how he is currently uh, at work. And so we'll kind of hit pause on the discussion around providence for the moment and move over to our devotional, where this week we have begun a new topic, and that is the Holy Spirit. So for our first week, we are discussing the nature of the Holy Spirit and the implications uh, for our faith. So Phil, in the daily readings about the deity of the Holy Spirit, you mentioned how the Bible points out that the Holy Spirit is God. So where specifically in the Bible do we see those passages? Yeah, there, there are several passages. Uh, in, the, in the first one, we might miss the significance of it um, if we're not careful. In, in Matthew 28, Jesus gives what is known as the Great Commission, and he instructs his followers to go and make disciples of all nations. And, and how are the Jesus followers to do that? By baptizing people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. Now notice that they are to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. By uh, including all three in parallel there, uh, Jesus is implying that they are all on the same level as it were. And that fact is further emphasized uh, by, the by the fact that the word name is singular. Jesus' followers aren't to baptize uh, into the names of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but in the one name of God. Um, 
so that that's one passage that uh, implicitly points to you know the Holy Spirit being God and by placing him you know on the same level as as the Father and the Son. Another passage uh, where the Holy Spirit's deity is implied is Acts five. Um, Ananias and Sapphira uh, sold uh, some of their property and gave it to the church, but they held some of the proceeds back and they misrepresented that fact, making it seem like they had given all of what they received from the sale of the property. And then when uh, he confronts Ananias, Peter asks, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? And then a few verses later, uh, Peter tells Ananias that he hasn't lied to human beings, but to God. So in that passage, lying to the Holy Spirit is tantamount to, to lying to God. So when you put those together, you know, uh, it, it, that's two passages where uh, the Holy Spirit is raised to the level of God. Yeah, and I think sometimes it's a concept that we, we read over because we're often kind of focused on God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit feels kind of confusing and nebulous. And so I think sometimes we miss those facts. And so I think you did a good job there of explaining uh, just exactly how the Bible upholds and points to the deity of the Holy Spirit. I was thinking of a couple other instances in the Gospel of John. In the section of John, John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus spends a lot of time teaching the disciples about the Holy Spirit, uh, promising its coming in John 15, 26, Jesus says, But when the Helper, meaning the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. Now, again, what Jesus is saying there is the Holy Spirit is God, that he's coming from the Father, that he proceeds from the Father. And again, that's an indication, uh, right? The things that come from God are of God, right? Just as Jesus came from from the Father in the same way, so does the Holy Spirit in that both are fully God. Another instance then is John 16, verses 14 and 15. Jesus says, He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. With the He will take what is mine, right? The things of the Father are the things of the Son, as Jesus says, and then the things of the Son are the things of the Holy Spirit, and so therefore the things of the Father are the things of the Holy Spirit, right? If you remember the transitive property, A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C, and so we've got a similar uh, dynamic at work there, and Christ is saying, look, there's a relationship between the three of us, between the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He's claiming the deity of it. And another note in that same passage is the note about declaring it to you, that there's this indicated knowledge of future events that the Holy Spirit has. Well, who can know the future except for God, right? So again, we see another example of that. But of course, it's not just the New Testament that speaks of the Holy Spirit. Joel 2, 28 and 29 prophesy about the coming of the Holy Spirit. This is the Lord speaking. He says, I will pour out my spirit. Right? So, okay, he announces that this is going to happen. He calls the Holy Spirit his spirit, indicating again the deity. And it's actually the, the same passage that Peter quotes when he's speaking before the crowd at Pentecost in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit descends uh, upon 
people, he's explaining to the crowd exactly what is going on and how this is what Scripture has told us was going to happen. And so he points back to that and says, look, see, this is, we knew that this was going to come, that this was going to come. This is the fulfillment of Scripture happening before our eyes. And so really the Bible is, is very clear. We get this idea that the Holy Spirit is actually God from Scripture, and Scripture backs us up in that regard. Yeah, and to, to some extent, it requires, you know, putting all the pieces together. Um, you know, Old Testament believers did not necessarily uh, know about the Trinity. You know, that hadn't been fully revealed. And to, to some extent, you know, even today, some people, you know, think of the Holy Spirit as, as just a force that emanates from God. Um, but from very early on, when you look at the Old Testament passages in light of what the Holy Spirit, uh, what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, in light about what is further revealed uh, to other New Testament writers, very early on it becomes clear that the Holy Spirit is not just a force; uh, he's a person. And when you, as as we've kind of traced out here, when you see what gets said about him. Uh, it's 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 hard not to conclude that he is God, which again gets confusing how Father, Son, and Holy Spirit can be all be God, but that's why the early church theologians came to that conclusion is because of these passages. They say we don't understand it, but this is what we have to conclude based on what Scripture is saying. So why is it significant that the Holy Spirit is God? Well, you know, the, the New Testament makes, makes it clear that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to empower and guide believers. Um, and because the Holy Spirit is God, along with the Father and Son, we know that everything he does is perfectly in harmony with the plans of the other members of the Godhead, which means that we can trust that the Holy Spirit knows exactly how to work in our lives and in the world to bring about God's perfect plan because he is God. Yeah, exactly right. Like if the Holy Spirit wasn't God, then he wouldn't be able to accomplish that very task. And, you know, as you're listening, you might be noticing that we've continue, we continually say he uh, when referring to the Holy Spirit. And again, that's that note that I know for, for my, in my life as a young Christian, I often refer to the Holy Spirit as an it, and I think that's because the Bible often refers to him as the Spirit, and I think of a Spirit, and to me that's an it, whereas, you know, Jesus or God would be a he. Um, but actually, as we're talking about, you know, really, the Holy Spirit is a he, it's a person, it's the third person of the Trinity, and that's a very important part of our faith. It's a central doctrine to what we believe, and so Kind of recognizing that is important, even as you you know noted, we don't know exactly how that works in our lives and how that how that plays out. But the recognition of three persons, you know, one God existing in the Trinity is an important part. Yeah, and and again, when we think about just how much the Holy Spirit is involved in our lives, when we talked about Jesus sending the Spirit. Um, we want the Holy Spirit to be God, I think, because again, if he's going to be uh, the one at work, um, you know, uh, 
helping us to become more like Christ, you know, strengthening our faith. We want him to both um, have intimate knowledge of God's plans, but also to have the power uh, of God. And, and again, I, I think that's, um, you know, an important aspect. And the personal part of it is the fact that he's a person is also important because, you know, that's exactly why he teaches. I mean, he guides all the ways that the New Testament speaks of the work that he does in our lives, uh, calling him teacher. You know, those are the acts of a person. And, and he personally relates to us. So I think when we reflect on what Scripture says about the Holy Spirit, it makes uh, sense of what God is uh, doing in our lives and why he sent the Holy Spirit to do it. So with the topic of the Holy Spirit, as we talk about his nature, I think, again, as we've discussed, it can be confusing at times because the idea of a spirit, I think, especially in our culture, feels you know strange. And I think one of the things that we struggle to understand or a question that someone might have is, okay, so if we say God the Father is God and then Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit is God, how in the world is Christianity a monotheistic religion then? Yeah, so there are passages of Scripture that say there is only one God. Deuteronomy 6, for example, says, Hero Israel the Lord your God is one. Um, and that's why the doctrine of the Trinity gets stated in a specific way. There are three persons, each person is fully God, and yet there is only one God. Uh, that is, the three persons share the same essence. Um, we don't understand that works, but we're compelled uh, to believe that because Scripture, as we've seen, indicates that all three are in fact God, yet there is only one God. And so again, when we we try to be faithful to what Scripture says, we're forced to conclude that, you know, again, there are three persons, each person is fully God, but yet somehow the way that they relate to each other is such that there's only one God. They are the same essence, one essence, but three persons. Yeah, and I think then you're touching on there, too. Another kind of question that might come up is, you know, if the Father, Son, and Spirit exist together within the Trinity, doesn't that mean they're each like one-third God? And again, you're answering each person within that Trinity is fully God. And you'll remember when we talked about uh, the humanity and the deity of Jesus, how we said it's not a 50-50 with, with Jesus. He's not just half human and then half God in some or, you know, some other blend of the two, but that he's fully God and fully human and the same thing is true in the trinity that the father son and holy spirit are fully god 100 percent god it doesn't work out in some you know kind of one third or you know god is this much and then jesus is that much right and so that in itself is helpful for us to understand when we talk about the nature of the holy spirit yeah because if we were to subtract any attribute or dilute it in some way um we wouldn't be able to say, you know, for example, the Holy Spirit, uh, let, let's say he gets, you know, you know, omnipresence and the Father gets omnipotence and the Son gets, you know, omniscience, for example. Uh, it gets, what it means to be God gets divided out between them or among them. If that were the case, Scripture wouldn't be able to call 
any of them God, because God implies all of those things. And so, um, yeah, again, we're, we're forced from what Scripture uh, teaches us to conclude that, again, as confusing as it gets, each member of the Godhead is 100% God. So as we wrap up then the discussion on the nature of the Holy Spirit and his relationship with the Father and the Son, what do these things teach us about our faith? Well, you know, there are a number of implications, but one would be that it should give us a lot of confidence. I've kind of touched on this already, but, you know, the Holy Spirit is intimately involved in our lives. And... Um, he helps us understand and apply scripture. He gives us wisdom. He promotes unity within the church. Um, and when we sense him working in those ways, it should be in- encouraging to know that it is God doing those things because it means God himself is at work in our lives. Uh, he didn't just send you know, a random servant to work with us. Instead, God himself comes alongside us every day in all those things. And, and I think that's uh, both... Uh, an important uh, thing to realize, but a a comforting one as well. Yeah, I think it's also significant when it comes to the idea of assurance of salvation. You know, how can we possibly know and be confident that we're going to be in heaven with God one day? A part of that, as we've discussed before with Jesus, is his life, death, and resurrection, that Jesus fully paid the penalty for sin, and so we don't owe God uh, because that penalty has been paid once. Uh, there are, there's no other need for a sacrifice, as the writer of Hebrews says, that Jesus was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Um, but the other part of that is the existence of the Holy Spirit. And actually, as we were just talking earlier about Ephesians, the, the end of that passage that I read, you know, Paul talks about that, that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of the inheritance that we have, that we wouldn't have the Holy Spirit if we weren't children of God, and therefore, uh, you know, at the end of our lives, we will be in heaven with God. And so the Holy Spirit in our lives ought to assure us uh, of those things. It ought to assure us that the work of of sanctification, though a process is at work, that it's happening. And again, that's, you know, we'll touch on that in, in future episodes of kind of how the Lord's providence is at work you know, within that, but that the fact that we have the Holy Spirit and the fact that it is actually God himself at work in our lives ought to bring us a, a source of peace and comfort. Yeah, we can be assured uh, of our salvation because we know that God is, through the Holy Spirit, is continually working to bring that about. And again, that can happen because the Holy Spirit knows exactly, because he's God, exactly what he needs to do to keep us on the path of faith. And um, and again, I mean, we could, we could go on and on about it, but again, that is meant to be uh, a comfort to us that the Holy Spirit, I mean, that's the whole point uh, that Jesus lets us know that he is sending the Spirit uh, because he intends it to be a comfort, and, and and it's a comfort because the Holy Spirit again is no <laughs> is is no mere uh, servant, you know, put in charge. It, he's God Himself. Yeah, God wasn't uh, you know sending the lowest intern, you know, to just say, hey, kind of keep an eye on things until I come back. It's right, God Himself. And again, as you as you said, that is 
of great comfort to us. Well, uh, hopefully as we are beginning this discussion, both again with providence, but then the Holy Spirit as well, hopefully uh, we are providing some clarity, not being uh, <laughs> confusing or, or anything uh, uh, of the like. Obviously, discussing the Holy Spirit is uh, an interesting and at times challenging thing since there are many things that, of course, we don't understand the ins and outs of. But hopefully this is uh, helping to kind of connect some dots for you. Um, before we close, want to mention just one special note. Uh, hopefully this week you received an email from us containing a survey about this podcast and the devotional associated with it. If you could please take a few minutes of your time and share your thoughts and feedback, that would be greatly appreciated. Of course, we want this uh, resource, uh, both resources, the podcast and the devotional to be helpful and beneficial to you. So if there are suggestions that you have, if there are things that you you know wish were, ch- were, were different or we would change, we would love to know. Um, and we'll be kind of evaluating that over the the coming weeks. Well, if you have any questions about the topics we are discussing as well, you can send those to my email. That's davidmorelli at parkcitychurch.net, and we will attempt to answer them. Next week, we are going to continue walking through the theme of God's providence by looking at his covenant with Abraham. And then in the devotional, we'll be talking about the Holy Spirit's work in the Old Testament. So please join us next week for that discussion. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Park City Podcast. We hope this resource helps you to see and savor God's goodness, beauty, and grace in your life. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.parkcitychurch.net. Once again, thanks for listening.